Good morning. Sharing the message of the gospel, sharing the Lord's message is part of our congregation's mission statement. Each part is integral, living the Lord's way and loving the Lord's people and sharing the Lord's message. The church is called to be a people loving God in our worship and discipleship, loving one another in fellowship and loving the world around as we seek to show and share the love of Christ. That is, the challenge to be sharing the Lord's message is not because the church needs um, new members. It's not because um, we've got something we think is quite good and maybe somebody else would like it as well. It comes from the gospel itself to show and share this love of God. Jesus never asked his followers to ensure the future of an organization, but to continue a movement. He came to declare and show that the kingdom of God had come, that it was open to all who accepted his lordship, and that peace with God and forgiveness was being offered freely. And so the gospel then, the message that we have, is not all about us. The point of the gospel with its reliance on Jesus and his rising is not that we will then get to heaven when we die. The point is that God intends, that God is committed to putting the whole of creation to rights. He doesn't plan to abandon this world, but to remake it. And Jesus' rising is the sign that God's new world had begun. Jesus is risen, so the world will be redeemed. Jesus is risen, and so his followers are given a new job to do. The announcement that the kingdom of God was at hand and was being established through Jesus and was accompanied with the offer of forgiveness of sins and peace with God, that was the message that they were to take into the world. Now, this message met people at its various points of need, and, and Luke has been outlining this in chapter 24. In the first 12 verses, we find Jesus meeting the women who had gone to the tomb. They were confused and perplexed. Verse 4, trying to make sense of what was going on. In verses 13 to 35, it's the two travelers on the road to Emmaus who had been so hopeful when Jesus was alive and then brought low with the crucifixion. And Jesus taught them from the Scriptures how it was necessary for him to die and rise again, and their hope was restored. And then in verses 36 to 53, in the section that um, David read for us this morning, it's the disputing, doubting, skeptical disciples. They saw him and didn't believe, notice. It's the disputing, doubting, skeptical disciples that are met by the risen Jesus. To each of them, Jesus comes. To each of them, Jesus brings the Word of God, meeting them at their point of need, but moves them on from that point of need, offering once more peace with God, verse 36, forgiveness of sins, and a part of His kingdom. Now, in the closing verses of Luke 24 in that passage, isn't it striking that nothing is said about a heaven to go to after we die? I'm not saying there's not one, I'm just saying there's nothing said about that there. Because that's not the message of resurrection. The message of resurrection is the kingdom of God was here, and Jesus' followers were commissioned to take that new life into all the world. 
Jesus rising from the dead was the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize the earth with the life of heaven. Well, you've prayed about that already this morning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the project that God's involved in. And so he commissions his disciples, verse 48, that they were to be witnesses. Now, witnesses, verse 48, in the first century in in, uh, the Jewish world, there was no such thing as as expert witnesses. You know, they didn't call into court somebody who's got five degrees from such and such a university to be the expert witness. They didn't do that. Nor was there any... um, weight given to the stuff of circumstantial evidence in in courts in those times. No, if somebody was called as a witness, it was because they had seen or heard something. Three things about the witness. Firstly, that the witness then doesn't point to themselves, but to something else or someone else. A witness doesn't invent the message. Someone who is a witness, say, let's say, of a car crash outside, is not to make up the details, not to invent or imagine what they saw and heard. You see a car crash and they come to you for the witness statement. Well, you don't say, well, it was a Volkswagen because you hate Volkswagen cars. That's not good enough. You know, I don't like these cars. It would be great if we got Volkswagen off the road, so I'll just say it was a Volkswagen, even if it wasn't. We're not at liberty to do that. Sometimes people want to tamper with the content of the gospel rather than be witnesses to what God has actually done. Witnesses don't get to do that kind of thing. They are to report on what they saw and on what they heard. And the content of the witness's statement is not about their own ideas or their own preferences. They're to pass on what they saw and what they heard. And that is something we do, particularly with things that are good news. When something good happens, we are eager to pass it on and tell others. And so the witness is not focusing on themselves. It's not their ideas. It's not their preferences. And in being called to be Jesus' witnesses, the followers of Jesus, verse 48, are not to be concerned in the first instance with their own survival or their own promotion or anything else. And that's still true for the church today. The church is not at liberty to change its message, to fit in with what might be more popular or what they imagine might be more popular. And a church does not witness on the basis that, oh, we're a very good church, or we're the real deal, or we're better than any other group or organization. No, the church's message is to point to Jesus. I wonder if that's what the world clearly picks up from who we are and what we're about Is that something that's got deeply ingrained to us? It's not about us, it's about Jesus. One of the giveaways that I hear from time to time is in in bereavement when folks are saying something like, well, the person who's deceased will now be with someone else. Now, there may or may not be truth in that, but, but why is that the most important thing? Is it not the case that if they've been serving Jesus, the most important thing is they're giving glory to him? Is that not more important? 
Is it about Jesus or is it about us? A witness doesn't talk about themselves. They're pointing elsewhere. Secondly, a witness has got first-hand experience. Someone is not a witness if they say, well, I didn't see the car crash. I really hope it was a Volkswagen, but I didn't see it. But I've heard about it. Somebody told me. The disciples had walked with Jesus. He had given them first-hand experience. He says to them, verse 39, that he can be touched. Don't go on, touch me and see. He eats some fish in front of them, verse 43. Jesus was really risen from the dead, and they were eyewitnesses. And Jesus then promised, verse 49, that he was going to send his Holy Spirit to be with them. And the Holy Spirit was the presence of Christ with us in the here and now throughout the whole world. To be a follower of Jesus was to be spiritually made alive and transformed by the power of God. The point of, one of the points of the Holy Spirit being with them, verse 49, is that the Holy Spirit wouldn't be tied to one place in the way that Jesus was. If Jesus was in Jerusalem, he's not in Philadelphia. He's not in Dubrovnik. The Spirit of God could be present throughout the whole, the whole world, and that's the promise of the gospel. Here is God available. And so we're not talking something we know about, but rather someone that we know, the presence of God in the here and now. Someone can be a scout without ever having met Baden-Powell. Or someone can be in the boys' brigade without ever having met William Alexander Smith. You can be a Marxist without having ever met Karl Marx. But you cannot be a Christian without having met Jesus. That's the difference. First-hand experience through the Holy Spirit, of meeting the risen Christ. And as the story of the Christian message moved beyond the ascension of Jesus, which is referred to in verses 50 to 53, as the story moved beyond the ascension, so those who were hearing the good news for the first time weren't hearing it from the lips of Jesus himself, Nor could they see Jesus standing in the the, the corner of the room nodding his head as Peter or John or Thomas or whoever shared the story. But rather through the Holy Spirit, the disciples were making clear that they weren't simply giving information about Jesus, but introducing him because the living Christ through the Spirit was with them. And it's this first-hand encounter of Jesus that enables us to be witnesses. And so perhaps, when the church has been slow to share the Lord's message, perhaps it's been this poverty of our spiritual lives that have been the issue. When we are people who have received good news as good news and received the Savior, then we'll want to share it. So the witnesses then point to something and not themselves. Secondly, they've got first-hand experience. And thirdly, a witness shares. If someone keeps quiet about what they have seen and heard, then they're not being a witness. Someone who sees the car crash but refuses to say anything about it is not a witness or not being a witness. And we cannot be witnesses to Christ and keep his life hidden, keep quiet about him. 
Sharing good news is things, something that people do all the time. If you see a good film, read a good book, get a good bargain at the sales, if there's a new child born, if your team wins, whatever you regard as good news, you want to talk about it and share it. And so if I feel so reticent about sharing anything about my Christian faith, then I should be asking myself, have I received Christ as good news for my life? The New Testament makes it clear that in both word and action, we are to be people who point to Jesus. There should be qualities and features about us that make absolutely no sense except that Jesus is risen. Would it have made any sense for Peter to stand up there boldly a few weeks later in in, uh, the George Square of Jerusalem and announce that Jesus has risen the people who'd organized Jesus' crucifixion still there in front of them, that'd have been a stupid thing to do, except Jesus had risen. The apostle Paul and his missionary journeys and going back after he's been whipped, after he's been thrown into jail, after he's had stones chucked at him, after he's had been shipwrecked and all kinds of things, he keeps on going back. Sheer stupidity, unless Jesus is risen. Following someone who says, do you know, it's actually far better to give than to receive. To follow someone who says, how about loving your enemies? How about to follow someone who says, never mind when someone puts something upon you, I want you to go the second mile as well. Do you know, none of that makes any sense, except Jesus is risen. And then there should then be things about us, qualities about our life that do not make sense unless Jesus is risen. The way we're using our efforts, our energies, our talents, our time, our money, and so on, only makes sense if Christ is risen. So what have I said? What have I done in this past week? that points to Jesus. It makes absolutely no sense unless Jesus is risen. So then that's what the witnesses are. They point to someone else, not themselves. They've got first-hand experience and they want to share in word and in action. That's not to say anything about what methods we must use today in sharing the Lord's message. It's not to say anything about what activities or programs that we have to adopt. But it is to say, to make clear, that the purpose that Jesus gave to his church, not as some arbitrary task, but as the next stage, the next chapter in the continuing story of God's unfolding purposes in the world, was to be his witnesses. And so worship and discipleship, our fellowship with one another, our sharing the Lord's message are what we're to be about. Now, in part, this series, looking at living the Lord's way and loving the Lord's people and sharing the Lord's message, in part, this series came about after recent discussions and instructions from the Church of Scotland and both General Assembly and Presbytery. The trends and statistics, as I mentioned, show not just serious decline, but a future that's in serious jeopardy. 
And the proper response to the dismal figures about the state or the condition of the church is not to deal with ritual structures and so on as though they were the real issue, but to reaffirm and give first priority to that which is most important, the gospel message itself and its impacts and its fruits. Issues about structures and buildings and so on do and will come up, but they're secondary matters. At the General Assembly, not this year, but but last, there was a, a report looking at the Um, church in Africa, which has been growing um, incredibly fast while we have been in decline. And the report had looked at the church in Africa and said, what is it about the church there that means that they're growing so fast while, while we're in decline? Well, guess what? The report said nothing about buildings, nothing's about rituals or anything else. What it highlighted were just the, the gospel stuff. They were serious about prayer. They were serious about reading the Scriptures. They were serious about putting what Jesus had taught into practice. They were eager in their worship and so on. And we in our Western arrogance think so often we know better than people in the third world, don't we? And they have nothing to teach us about buildings and liturgy and so on, but they have a lot to teach us about focusing on what really matters, about doing gospel stuff and then seeing gospel fruit grow out of that gospel stuff. So we focus on knowing God better, loving Him and one another more, and showing and sharing the love of Christ in the world around us. For that is what Jesus has called us to be and and called us to do. The series that we've done in these past few weeks is not simply a a one-off highlighting thing, but in a sense to to reaffirm what is basic. And with the intent that we put more and more of these things into practice and put all that we are and all that we do through the lens of living the Lord's way and loving the Lord's people and sharing the Lord's message. Because after all, It's not your church, not my church, certainly not the Church of Scotland's church, it's Jesus' church. And if we don't believe that it's the Lord's church, and if we don't believe that the only hope we have is through faith in and reliance on Him and being shaped by the living God, then we should give up. Because being church really should make no sense at all if Jesus is not risen. Thanks be to God. We believe, of course, He is risen. Stories in Luke 24 and the other gospel accounts and testimonies of the church over 2,000 years of life being changed and transformed show the fruit of that. Let's not the other stuff crowd and clamor and get in the way. Amen. Now we're going to sing again, and it's a hymn about that fall.